The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Getting a lot of good critical feedback on my column today and stuff, which means it'll get like 700 views. No, it was actually, no, 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 no. It was the fifth most read this morning. Oh, wow. But there's also nothing going on at the moment. It's yeah. <laughs> This is Gone by Lunchtime. My name is Toby Van Hire. With me, Annabelle Lee Mather. Kia ora. Kia ora. Ben Thomas. Kia ora. Kia ora. Samuel making it all happen today. Thank you. Members also making it all happen. Thank you, members. It's July the 6th, Thursday, a rare Thursday podcast. And we've timed it today, haven't we? Mm-hmm. Quite deliberately, because it's 100 days to go to the election. Very exciting. A lot of excitement around the table. Annabelle is bouncing around the walls. Ben Thomas is fizzing like a freshly shaken bottle of Mountain Dew. I'm trying to do the maths. I thought it was 100 days earlier in the week. What? I, th- I saw somebody else mention that it was 100 days. I'm pretty sure it's 100 days. Oh, maybe it is 100 days. Well, I've got a piece out today that says it's 100 days. Okay. Mike Hosking's got a piece out that says it's less than 100 days. <laughs> I think, but I think you're wrong, no, and fuck. Mike writes. I can't, believe the, I can't believe the Prime Minister's science advisor is like wasting time <laughs> on the gang problem when she needs to get to the bottom of like how dates work. See, this is, the, you know, that whole thing this week about the science and mass curriculum and yeah. like this is, this is, you know, why we need that stuff. Like maybe just with starting counting. with dates and counting. We need to do, we need to get Janzanetti on, challenge her about counting. Mm. <laughs> pull her before. <laughs> Minister, give it to us straight. <laughs> what day is it today? <laughs> okay. where, where are we? What are we doing? <laughs> so it's Thursday, July the 6th, and it's 100 or 100-ish days to the election. You, Annabelle, mm. have freshly returned from Ikaroa Rafati, is that, is that right? I um, the, um Which is one of the Māori electorates that stretches all the way from East Cape it's like a vivid marker, and you run it down the uh, the uh, the east of the North Island, mm-hmm. down to the hut. Yeah, basically, yeah. Wainui or Mata. I think it captures Wainui or Mata as and well. And going to be pretty incredible race in twenty twenty three, isn't it? How, Shaping it? up to be a great race. Tell yeah. us, give us the give us the give us the lowdown. Okay, so as we all know, Mecca has defected to Te Pāti Māori. And last week, Labour announced their candidate, Kushla Tangaire, who I actually used to work with at Fakata Māori. She's mm. an incredibly impressive wahine Māori, beautiful deal speaker. Um, she's been working, you know, um, 
with the East Coast um, rugby for a number of years, helping to build up that movement. Um, she's funny, articulate, smart, stroppy, strong. Ngāti Poro. Um, comes from, uh, lives in Tiki Tiki, but I think is from Rangitukia, or she might live in Rangitukia, one, 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 one of those things. So that's right up um, north of uh, past Tokomaru Bay, uh-huh. um, a, commu- a, a, a community that's well known for producing amazing people like the poet um, Arapira Ka, um, um, uh, Honika, um, Tina Wycliffe, the um, Māori political um, editor at Māori Television, so special, special place. Uh-huh. And um, I think she'll give, um, she's a very good candidate to run against Mecca. And... What's the vibe? Is it are people talking about it? It's going to be because it could be could be quite a could be quite close, right? Like Mecca has had had a grip on that seat for quite a while now. How many elections? Like since, since five in a row. Since 2014, 2014, I think was the first yeah. okay. All right. okay. election she can. Okay, I think election. I think actually yeah, 2013 was when Parikura died, yeah. and she won right. that by yeah. election, and then won it again in 2014. Um, no, people aren't talking about people it. Talking people about are not talking about it at all. And I think part of the reason is that they weren't talking about it is because um, Mickey and I flew into Napier and then we drove up to a, a small settlement just south of um, Wairua called Raupunga mm. and then down from there went into the Esk Valley um, and uh, Hastings and Flaxmere. And no, people aren't talking about it because... People are still living with the effects of the cyclone. Esk Valley is just destroyed. Mm. Like it was shocking to be there. And, you know, I think with the media, because we'll go and we'll report on a, mm. a disaster for about three weeks and then we withdraw back out. And you start to to think that everything's sort of been fixed yeah. in the meantime and it's not. Esk Valley is, you know, it was really confronting to see how much silt is still there, the level of destruction of homes. Um, so, so people there aren't really talking about the election. They're more worried about, you know, issues like, which houses are being written off, mm. where they're going to go, um, how they're going to get the silt out of their community, you know, just metres and metres of it, um, the pressure it's put on housing, all of those sorts of things. So, no, it wasn't a hot topic of discussion there, Pete, but the, the thing is that all of the issues that existed before the cyclone are still there as well. So they're, they're just trying to navigate a whole lot of really hard stuff. You you spend a bit of time wide or been that similar sort of mood there. Yeah, a lot, a lot of uh, a lot of uncertainty. Still, still, some of the houses haven't been reoccupied. Some of the businesses. I think the rest home there has been abandoned. So that's you know that was, I think a dozen or two dozen sort of elderly people without families who you know have been mm. sort of literally been redistributed around the North Island. Mm. You know, taken to Rotorua where they again have no family, but also don't have the town that they you know grew up in and used to live in. And so, you know, yeah, still this massive dislocation. Um, and you know you're right. You know, still huge issues to go through in terms of, you know, they've hired uh, the three Hawks or well, the, the yeah the three Hawks Bay uh, councils and Wider have um, hired Chris Finlayson, my old boss, 
to help mm-hmm. them like, negotiate with the government in terms of the payouts for you know uh, for land that will have for land or property that will have to be abandoned, because their initial calculations are that if if they're forced to go half and half on the cost of homes that are abandoned and paying out homeowners, you know it'll basically bankrupt the councils. Mm-hmm. So you know this is this is an early sort of sign of the issues that we're going to see across the country because of climate change mm. and managed retreat. It'll be, you know, because this is, I when I read that in the paper, I thought that's quite unusual. You know, this is a collaborative effort between the government and, and the councils. You know, this is a partnership as it was in Christchurch. But here they're actually, they've said, we're hiring a negotiator to, to drive a hard bargain with the government right. because, you know, it's an existential th- threat for us financially if we don't get a if we don't get a, a fair distribution on this on the costs here, so yeah, a lot of issues there. And, and Mecca Fightity has been really MIA. Uh, you know, I, th- I think since her sort of strange strange return to Parliament that was sort of marred by all these sort of uh, kind of stunts and procedural hiccups and things. I don't know if anyone's really heard from her much, um, and. You know, and, and that is interesting given the state that, you know, a large part of that electorate is still in. I mean, it is Ma- a vast makes you, electorate. Makes you m- miss the regional development fund. Like that cash would have been quite <laughs> handy to have on hand, wouldn't it? I know, I, I know somebody <laughs> who could have a word with them. <laughs> Let's talk about uh, the Kerry Allen situation, which is a, an interesting one that happened while Chris Hipkins was in China, and we'll, we'll come to that in a moment. Uh, it started quite nebulously, Annabelle, and there was reporting with Andrea Vance, and there were, there were, there's been a sort of general, a sort of lack of specifics, and then we there's more reporting, and it was the 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 the, the main specific allegation was that she'd been shouting and questions around treatment of staff, and that she could be heard shouting through the phone by others in the room, which was. Which Hipkins sort of said, "Oh well, some people's volume on their phone is a bit. <laughs> it, is, it is sort of true. Well, you, yeah, know, you, sometimes, true. you sometimes <laughs> can hear other people on the phone. So it's a it's a difficult thing to peg it to, and it's one of those. But then the, it has some unusual qualities as well. Insofar as there are chief executives of government departments who have acknowledged that there have been issues, which is pretty unusual. That doesn't it doesn't happen a lot. <laughs> but as with all of these things that happens in this kind of swirl, what is your view on it? Have we? Is it? Is it one of those smoke fire situations, or has it been over egged? What's your take? I don't know. It's a really difficult one to comprehend because I think, I mean, without a doubt, Wahine Māori politicians are, are, are judged far more harshly and th- th- than other politicians. And if we want proof of that, look at what happened with Tory Whānau the other mm-hmm. night versus the debate or whatever it is that, that Wayne Brown just took part in. Um, it feels like it's being presented by the media as a bit of an iceberg story. It's not about what we see on top. It's about all of the things that lie beneath. And that alone is incredibly damaging. But then when you start to dig a little bit deeper into it, it's difficult to understand the reason why it's been managed the way it has by the CEOs who were involved. Mm. Like, and I, I get that Wellington has a very toxic whistleblower culture that, you know, people who blow the whistle in Wellington are basically committing career suicide. But I find it really weird that the people involved were having conversations with um, with internal affairs about it rather than like state services or 
ministerial services or, I, I or didn't the prime minister's that. office. It's like, well, what's going on there? Why the, would you do that? I, I think that's a really interesting point because um, Penny Nelson, the chief executive of DOC, um, said that, she, and and Doc was involved because one of the initial allegations was that a staffer from Doc who was seconded to the office to act as a private secretary, so these are civil servants who work in a minister's office for a temporary amount of time. They're not a political appointee, mm. so you kind of they they get spared all of the you know press secretaries like I used to be sort of running around, you know. Yell, yelling stressedly at journalists and talking about those assholes on the other side and that kind of thing. They get spared all that. They just said they have a separate room where they just get on with the administrative sort of burden of kind of... But they're seconded into the beehive or... or they're or they're in the department. beehive. Yeah. They'll usually be in a physically separate office within the minister's office, mm. but away from the political staff. And they'll work on the business of their department, telling, you know, communicating from the department to the minister's yep. office and the minister's office to the department. And... And the, the allegation was that one of these secondees uh, went back early to the department because of a relationship breakdown uh, with the minister's office or a problem with the working relationship. And then it was sufficiently concerning that Penny Nelson said that she contacted ministerial services in the Department of Internal Affairs. And like Annabelle says, that's very curious to me because I don't really understand that because ministerial services employ the political staff within the minister's office. They don't employ the minister, obviously. They have no supervision over the minister. Mm. Uh, if you had a problem with the minister, you would go to the state service or the public service commission as it is now. Um, but Peter uh, Hughes says no, no issue was ever raised formally or informally with the public service commission. So either the chief executive would talk to the minister, you know, one on one, sort of have a bit of a rangatira to rangatira, you know, we've got to sort this out, sort of thing, or they would go to the public service commission if they couldn't resolve it that way. And so, so the process that's been described, I find quite interesting and curious. I mean, people must move in and out of those roles with a with regularity. Sometimes it won't work out for people for whatever reasons. I mean, and, and it, it's the it's the escalation of it that's so, the so, issue. So, sometimes, it? sometimes it doesn't work out, but there there is there is a real inertia to sort of just chopping and changing. Uh -huh. Generally, they'll be appointed for about a year and a a year or a year and a half, and there will be. You know, something pretty extreme has to happen. There has to be a real sort of breakdown before they would leave earlier than that. Um, yeah, it is, I mean, for, from my experience, it is, it's very unusual to terminate mm. it early. Mm. Um, the then then so so you've got the public service commission role in there. The, I've I've written a column in stuff today, which um, and the the post, which talks about some of the other sort of, uh, you know, what this might be a sort of um, symptom of, which is the kind of, you know, because one unusual feature of this is that you're actually getting anonymous allegations from public servants. Yeah. Mm. It's very unusual, as mm. Vernon Small talked about in his column on yeah. the Sunday Star Times. You know, you know, if, if you if you read political stories, you'd think half the population of Wellington is these shadowy, faceless sources who are all running around between rendezvous with journalists and things. But actually, that's just it's basically a handful of people, all of whom work in the Beehive, mm. and they're all political appointments or politicians, and they're they're the sources. Of, you know, they're most of the unnamed sources in these stories. Unnamed public servants, very unusual because one, they're worried about their careers, mm. like Annabelle said, and two, it, you know, it really does, it is corrosive to the relationship of trust that you've got to have with the public service as a politician to have 
public service people leaking. It's taken much more seriously than political leaking. So there is there is a question about whether the relationship between the public service as a whole and the ministry slash the cabinet as a whole is kind of fraying or deteriorating. You hear whispers about that around Wellington that um, you know a combination of sort of inexperienced ministers who don't really know what they want to do and can't and don't really know how to sort of concretize their goals means that the bureaucrats are sort of left flailing a little bit, don't really know what to do. And so, you know, as I say in my column, ministers can't tell the public service what they want or need, and then they're upset when they don't get it. And you get this kind of feeling of frustration and distrust on both sides, which, you know, and obviously this varies wildly across different departments and different ministers. But there is a sort of, there is a growing sense of sort of unease at you know at at the relationship you know but it's a i mean it, i mean this is the difficulty when we're talking with it with such a <laughs> with such a paucity of specificity but the you know, I've talked to people in the public service in Wellington who say, you know what, the, the reality is that in a lot of these departments there are people, and these are people who worked in them, where there's people who are, who are want to do policy and talk about policy and planning and, and don't want to do delivery because that's harder and that, that, that it's harder to, to actually... And so when you have the implementation units created in mm. a kind of facsimile of what happened in the UK, or if you have maybe... And look, I don't know what's happened in this situation. Someone thumping the desk saying, for Christ's sake, you need to crack on and do this. You know, it's a... Where is the dysfunction? That's, well, well it, is, it is interesting that, you know, one of the allegations is that Kerry Ellen yelled at or carried on in a meeting with Kanoa staff, which is the or what the provincial growth fund is called now. Right. And just this month, the auditor, you know, she inherited this fund and this 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 sub departmental agency. The um, the, the child of the in, New Zealand First Coalition. Yeah, she deal. inherited it in February when she became the regional development minister. Sometime between then and now, she apparently had a bit of a contretemp at a meeting with Kanoa officials. This month, uh, or last month, sorry, the Office of the Auditor General released a report saying, you know, this fund is is dysfunctional. You know, it's not achieving the results that it it's needs. It's not accountable. It's not accounting for it, the spend. Yeah, it's, it's, it, there's no way of knowing whether this is $600 million that's well spent or not. You know? yeah. So, and, and I think it, it's a frustration that goes both ways. You need strong ministerial leadership to set the goals and to, to steer the departments towards what they want to do. But you also need, yeah, public servants who want to do things. And, and some people have pointed the finger at... Uh, the Public Service Act 2020, which was introduced by uh, then Minister for the Public Service, Chris Hipkins, uh, but was, I think everyone accepts, was pretty, probably written by Peter Hughes, the Public Service Commissioner, which replaces these very, uh, which replaces the very straightforward responsibility of public servants or public service CEs to the minister to saying that public servants have a responsibility to this sort of very nebulous idea of the community good, mm. the public good, um, and, and and says that CE's boss is actually the public service commissioner and that's who they're accountable to. Well, sorry, it says they're accountable to ministers, but but their relationship is with the public service commission. And so there is there is there are questions about, you know, has the public service sort of almost kind of legislated itself further and further away from political accountability to ministers? On the political level, Annabelle, Chris Hipkins was in China when the story broke. He was in Europe when the Mikafaitari uh, 
abscondment happened. I feel like Chris Hipkins is finding out what it was like to be my parent when I was a teenager. Like any time <laughs> you, you go away, it's like, yeah. Oh, oh, no. yeah, yeah, there's been a party, the dog's missing, yeah. there was a fire, yeah. there's like 25 teenagers that don't belong to you. And then yeah. you get home and it's kind of like something's a bit not quite right. Like things have been put back in the wrong place yeah. in this incredible Every mad dash effort. slightly too. askew. Yeah. And, I mean, the he's said – we're going to park this issue for now. Kerry Allen, separately, and she's very keen to stress, um, and I think we should respect that, that she, the, her personal uh, issues that she's faced and well-being, mental health are a separate matter, and that's the reason she's taken some leave. But um, the Prime Minister has said, I'm going to go off to, I'm going to nip off to Vilnius, as you do, go and chat with NATO and do my European free trade deal, and maybe we'll discuss that briefly in a moment, and then we'll, we'll, we'll discuss it after that. The difficulty for him in terms of just the the base politics of it, is that if we go back to the Michael Wood situation, when that happened, that was kind of a masterclass in in cauterising something. It had had dragged on for a while with the airport shares, but when he found out about the the other shares that would happen, what he did is he called a press conference, he announced what had happened, he announced the consequences, the the minister had resigned, he announced three or four measures, which no one can remember, to address conflict of issues generally around, and then he announced, almost in the same breath, the ministers that would be replacing Wood in those roles, including, as it happens, Kerry Allen and Associate Finance. But it was all just like, tie a bow on it, get it done. The difficulty with something like this is that it seems a bit more of a seeping wound. And while we don't know the details of it, as long as there are more stories coming out, it becomes much more politically weighty and problematic. Mm. Per, and the know, government departments aren't ha- helping either because I saw in one of the articles that they'd requested some information and the department had said, well, we're going to treat that as an official information act request. No, we'll that. come back to you in 20 working days. Yeah, right. So which drags it out even more <laughs> instead of like being able right. to get a short, sharp answer and tie it off. It's like you email the police and say, do you have any police cars? And they go, I'm going to put this in the OIA stream here. Um, yeah, I mean, it, 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 in terms of Chris Hipkins' ambition to have a distraction-free run into the election, <laughs> I mean, there's barely been a moment when there hasn't been some issue with an errant minister or other. You, you look strong and, you, and voters won't punish you for taking decisive action to sack an errant minister, right? But if that's all you're doing, <laughs> it really does take up a lot of sort of space on the Decisive, decisive every day. Yeah, if, <laughs> if all they remember is that, like, you've sacked half your cabinet, like... It, <laughs> I mean, there I is feel, also. I feel for him, eh, because I think he's doing a really good job as a leader and he's being let down by his ministers. Well, I mean, you know, to, to they're clearly the, run out of gas. And there, there is and also out of that, talent. apart from that, how it plays in terms of whether people see it as decisive or not, that's all fine. And there's sort of discussion about that on the Wood thing, particularly. But also, it's we have a pretty small number of MPs. They've got, you know, even well, though Labor they've got a majority, a well, well, even though Labor they've got a majority, a but they don't MPs. have that many and he doesn't want to bring you beyond. So you've got David Parker answers the phone and says, you're a transport minister now. I was like, am I? Okay. And then I've got to deal with all these questions all the time about light rail and everything. I mean, it's it's Michael and, Wood, and, and for and example, he, was he, a super nerd on that. He, you know, having people who are, even if they're experienced ministers, suddenly having to get all these, you know, massive boxes of information that they have to digest and then go and 
right news talks yeah, but being I think they've missed opportunities. Like when he brought Nash back, like why would you not have? Well, why would you have not used that time not been, to like blood yeah. up some new? Why would he have not been like warned a, as well by the previous, you know, operation? Is the other part of that question, isn't it? Well, that's right. And and look, you know, as people pointed out, um, Michael Wood was a strong contender for. You know, it was one of two contenders for the, yeah, the, the leadership. One, the other one was, and no, the, the, the third, the, the third favorite, the third favorite was, was Kerry Allen. Allen. And I, you know, so what you're saying is this is a this is a Machiavellian yeah, operation a of the by Chris Hipkins. I'm just going. I'm just popping across to Beijing. <laughs> <laughs> you know what needs to happen? <laughs> he kind of presents just a hot boy, eh? We know what's going on, but it, it's sort of a you know, it's it's this sort of. It really does seem like Jacinda Ardern just left like a dead fish lying under the cushions in the sofa on the ninth floor, you know, like all most of these, all of these issues that we're discussing, apart from maybe the Kanoa yelling, um, all happened during the prime ministership of one Jacinda Ardern, not poor old long-suffering Chris Hipkins. <laughs> like, she was like, screw these guys, I'm out. I'm like, I've yeah, got enough like, <laughs> Like, I'm dealing with a five-year-old. I'm need turning on the out-of-office <laughs> <laughs> deal. Um, China, let's touch on that briefly. That's been covered. We I did a little kind of bonus one the other day with Mad Chapman, who's an editor who was on the China trip. So if you missed that, you can go back and check it out. Uh, briefly, though, Chris Hipkins had, had some time in China, an important trip, first one for a long time, proper big uh, trade delegation of however many it was, like 60 people, I don't know, heaps. Um, and it sounds like it all went pretty well. Doors were open. Uh, they were reasonably happy with this kind of, you know, uh, sending a message that everyone said open for business and so on. So that's all very well and good. And Chris Hipkins had to complete the the sort of, you know, the, the, um, the challenge of whenever you feel yourself about to say, for example, example, Taiwan as a country, or <laughs> Uyghur genocide, or dictator Xi, simply say warm and constructive, which he did. It's kind of like a sort of trigger reaction. He's been clearly trained in that. And he said warm and constructive about 500 times. Yeah, we- Uyghur hardly knew her. Oh, no, no. But it is an exercise, you know, um, Sam Sajdeva has written a very good book called The China Tightrope, and so that's the metaphor of choice, that in terms of walking that tightrope, Hipkins kind of achieved it, yeah? He got to the other side. Yeah, look, I, I mean, I have, a, I have an idiosyncratic and... Um, you know, it's a highly individualised take on this, which is that oh, good. New Zealand really needs to walk a fine line between its oh. strategic interests <laughs> uh-huh. with the United States mm-hmm. and the West mm, okay. uh, and its economic yeah. interests and its uh, economic. with China okay, as our largest this. trading partner. Oh. Um, is it a, is it a delicate balance? <laughs> delicate It's a tight it's, it's, it's And right. the... <laughs> And, and and I mean, this is the thing. It, it is hard to sort of you know amplify that any further because it, you know it's, it's pretty straightforward. You know, China wants yeah. to draw us closer, and they want to invest in Belt and Road, which John Key was very keen on, and basically sort of signed us up for in 2016. And I think they, I think during this trip, they signed a, an agreement to continue to cooperate to explore or something. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of about three levels of abstraction up from anything actually happening, uh, because we have uh, subsequently seen the issues with. Um, sort of China strategic investment in the Pacific, um, or China state strategic investment. And, you know, the, I mean, these are very highly scripted 
things in the public anyway. You know, I mean, obviously. To- choreographed from start to finish. Yeah. So so Hipkins hit the lines. He could improvise when he needed to before he left when he was asked about whether it was a dictatorship. And he was sort of, no, <laughs> you know. <laughs> like, that was, yeah, that was, I mean, you know, that, 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 was, I, that was just him. That was yeah. pure, pure boy from the heart. Yeah. <laughs> pure instinct. <laughs> I'm going to say <laughs> no. no. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like he, 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 he did fine. I mean, it, you know, it, 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 it delays, it delays our, our issues for another day, which is all we can ask for right now. The um, melancholy kiwi fruit. Did you see them? The return oh, garbage kiwi fruit brothers. They're really not proper ones because they didn't have the bulbous eyes. They were three D. No bulbous eyes and no mouth cavity. No, that's like, right. Which they were in Japan. I don't know why. Cheap what, Chinese. Like, is why, there like uh, a kiwi the, fruit? The lamestream media seems to be ignoring that. Like, is it like the Kiwi Fruit Covers Act, like trying to be them, but not no. like the poor shitty know. version are of they, them? Are they the real deal or not? I mean, it was it was you know how you you know how you get like you know when you get a Shenzhen you can get like Prada or you can get the yeah. Prada knockoff yeah you can What's get that? the Kiwi Fruit Brothers these, 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 these are the Kiwi Fruit Brothers that got done on the yeah. eight pm to eight am shift <laughs> there's, the, <laughs> the, there's the Kiwi Fruit Brothers but the O is a U you know and then it's, yeah, yeah it's not the real anyway just something that people could look into if they want to now he's off as well um, Christopher Hopkins on Friday. Tomorrow, even which is ninety nine days till the election, I think <laughs> off to off to Vilnius for the NATO summit, uh, which and to sign the European Free Trade Agreement. Yeah, um, uh, exciting times. Lithuania, I looked it up, has a smaller air force than New Zealand. I mean, they obviously got NATO. Bad luck with both our planes. <laughs> well, that's down what I was there. thinking. Like, Maybe there could be some. He could be like, hey, do you want to see a picture of my 757? Lithuania is quite a long time. Do we need like three planes to get there? <laughs> I think he's going commercial. <laughs> <laughs> I think they should have played the They marked on the plane thing, obviously. It's like they kind of could have just left it two hours, sent it two hours later, and no one would have known about the second plane. They should have just said it was a convoy or, because we're so big and important. They should the have Americans said it, they should have said it was a decoy because that makes you sound oh, really cool yeah. and glamorous. Like, oh, no, we've got to have a decoy plan. Yeah. You know, all the big all the big world states people have decoy plans mm. just in case someone's <laughs> trying to, you know, hit do a Kiwi Fruit Brothers hit. Uh, I mean, anything more to say about that? Is that it's, it's, you know, there's been suggestion about whether or not he would be able to make it to Ukraine. He sort of keeps saying no. I suppose there's a possibility no, no, that might be no. pulled out of the, out of the hat. Um Free trade agreements important. Anything else to add in this um, high-level geopolitical conversation on the trip to NATO? Anyone? No. Ben? No. All right. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Uh, the National Party Conference we haven't that happened since we last met. So let's talk oh, about yeah. that a bit. A bit. Um, it was it was a very it was in Wellington, Mike Fowler Centre. It was very clear that they are that they're on message. Day one, cost of living. Day two, law and order. And you can hear now they're very drilled in terms of saying the issues are 
cost of living crisis, that's number one. Law and order, that's number two. It's like they're reading off the Ipsos issue monitor. And then also important, health and education. And it's like that's the package. There's a few other bits and pieces that get associated with the general. And also New Zealand's got to get us back its mojo. I wonder whether or not Christopher Luxon's advisors are saying stop saying mojo. I don't know. I don't know if the New Zealand public is they, responding to him saying mojo. I'm not sure if they were ever saying say mojo more. Well, no. I th- I feel like that was a captain's call. Well, a lot of mojo. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of saying mojo. Um, the the interesting thing, I, I don't know, Annabelle, it's, it's, I mean, the Bill English was sitting in the front row for Christopher Luxon's speech, and, and the policy announcement on that day was about um, uh, um, the, 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 the centrepiece of it was saying that judges cannot discount um, – Judges cannot yeah. discount sentences by more than 40%, 40%. I think it was. Um, and, and a lot of this is, it's a bit like the the gang's policy stuff. A lot of them are, they're, you know, they're, they're marginal, and they would acknowledge that. It's a collection of small things that are done around the edges rather than one big bazooka. But Bill English was, of course, the man who famously said that prisons are, say after me, a moral and fiscal failure. Mm. And I don't know, is there a tension there in some, in some sense? Um, I just don't understand why National think that presenting these types of policies, which are very much focused on sentencing, do anything to reduce the crime that's being experienced in communities around Aotearoa. And I mean, it is real. Like I go to places like Thames and I see shops that have been ram raided and stuff, but when a teenager does that, they don't sit there and think about the fact that National will pass a policy that restricts the judge from discounting their sentence by 40%. So, I mean, I listened to Hipkins the other day on on RNZ and it does sound like he's got the bit between his teeth now. He's communicating. Luxon. Oh, sorry, Luxon. He does sound like he's communicating. He's getting better. He's getting better. Yeah. He's, getting, he's getting stronger. He sounds um, credible. But I just think that when... You break it down, and we've had the example this week where the um, the prime minister's head scientist, mm. chief science advisor, yeah. chief science advisor, you know, who's gone off and done the homework and has talked about the way you tackle gang issues, mm. and it's been completely disregarded by national. It, it's not very comforting for ordinary people, but I'm sure that there's a huge voter base to whom it appeals. And, and in terms of the tension between what Bill English said and what Luxon's saying, I don't think it really matters because, you know, Bill English is, is long gone. It, yeah, look, I think it's important to remember that National haven't lost sight, you know, particularly via Nicola Willis, of that social investment issue. You know, even when they were in, mm-hmm. when they were in government she gave last a, time. She gave a big speech about that at Victoria University a while ago. I haven't heard anything about it since. No, it's it's still there. Still it's, there. She's, she's doing work on it mm-hmm. and it, it, it sort of it informs – you know, a lot of their approach to different things, like okay. their, men, their mental health uh, policy, mm-hmm. which, you know, talks about a $20 million fund to, um, you know, to for pilots, basically, to see what happens. You know, social investment is about, you know, first of all, looking at the data, but also seeing what works and evaluating programs and investing on that basis. Um, national... <sighs> National invested a lot in rehabilitation, you know, the last time that it was in government, in, in mm-hmm. corrections. Um, it, it, they will continue to do so, I think. You know, there, there was, uh, you know, an expansion of the availability of rehabilitation programs that was part of that policy. Um, I would like them to adopt an ACT policy from 
shit, I think 2017, which was that, you know, you can get discounts off your sentence by learning to read in prison, by getting your driver's license in prison. Um, you know, once you've got a driver's license, then you're worried about the infringement points that you'll get from ram raiding a shop, you know, so you give people something to lose. I think that's the part of the conversation that's missing. We're hearing about these different policies that are actually going to increase our prison population, but you're not hearing about the... Um, the types of programs they're going to run that's going to reduce recidivism and those sorts of things. Yeah, that's right. And the, and I think the the key is to take this the 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 cue from David Seymour. Um, and you know when this policy was announced in 2017, the campaign I was involved in, which again led to a record Triumph. low to Triumph. record low vote <laughs> turnout for ACT. Um, it was welcomed by pretty much everyone. The the um, the Howard League for Penal Reform welcomed it. The Sensible Sentencing Trust reform uh, welcomed it, because you've got to look at the prison population as an opportunity. You know, we always say, how do we find the hard to reach people? Well, a lot of them are in prison. They're right there. And if we're ever going to like get, get them an education and get them a chance at participating fully in society, that's the opportunity. No. They're right there. No, I mean that's that and, is, that is the, the 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 biggest social investment yeah. of all, right? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And 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 the problem is, you know, this government, you know, clearly isn't doing enough about it. They can't even keep Ingrid Leary out of gangs. <laughs> I want to. I want to. I, I'm concerned about patch members of the electoral commission being banned. Like, if you are on election day, if it goes through the national requirement, that there won't be gatherings of any patch members. If people are wearing the orange things and the that will anyway, carry on. And, uh, do you get the feeling like Ingrid Leary just like will turn up to caucus meetings going like, I mean, these are really friendly people. And then it turns out she's become a Scientologist. Like, like she'll just be like, Prime Minister, I, like, I learned about this really interesting stuff. Like, I've, just, I've just come back from this fantastic community meeting. Turns out we're being run by the World Economic Forum. We should do something about that. <laughs> oh, I got a, I got a, I got a, uh, I got a, uh, <laughs> I got a message from somebody in the uh, the Otago community who said that the the only surprise about Ingrid Leary accidentally stumbling into a gang meeting was that she didn't try and take the first speaker slot. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, okay. Listen. Uh, the, only, the only on the, on the speaking of taking the cue from David Seymour, the other thing that was they accidentally put a slide up at the National Party conference saying the goal was forty five percent, which is like one of those things you kind of go maybe it's a bit like a stretch goal in one of those crowdfunding things. But I was mean, it meant to be a subliminal uh, one, like you know, just like flash it across? And, and like obviously, you know, those election year conferences about rallying the troops, getting the volunteer, all that sort of stuff. So yeah, let's go forty five percent. One, they're not going to get forty five percent. Two, it could be potentially counterproductive to go for 45% if they end up having getting into more of these scraps with ACT. Yeah, and no, I, I think they've got to st- I think they've got to veer back to the centre a little bit. I mean, you know, it's good that they're being tough on crime. The centre likes that. But um, I don't think they need to, you know, they don't need to spend all this time sort of, you know, trying to be, yeah, sort of more extreme than ACT. And uh, I, I get the feeling that maybe they're feeling a little bit more assured after the last run of polls that, you know, things are ki- things are sort of back yeah, the going next, the yeah, right the way. Next ones are- 
and, uh, and and David Seymour did say he was quite he was he told RNZ, um, which was a I think at first time he said this where he said you know they do need to uh, we do need to make sure that we're sort of you know we're not we're, we're fighting the same enemy we're not and it's like <laughs> mate you've been spending a lot of time yeah. attacking national and now and there is I wonder whether there is a little bit of a detente happening and that there might be because they're not talking to each other much at the moment they have the normal lines of communication between chiefs yeah. of staff mm. but they're not giving each other any heads up about what happens I, or no, that no, sort of they, stuff they, they yeah. don't coordinate well yeah. I mean I think history will show that national made a fatal error mm. in, in doing that sweetheart deal in Epsom with ACT because they didn't know it at the time, but they let the fox right in the hen house and now their policies are essentially being dictated by ACT and they're getting drawn further and further to the right. And the irony is, is like National didn't even need ACT back then, but they've created their own... Well, I mean, it is. It is that. I mean, it is like the whole MMP system, with the exception of the most recent election, is designed to have more than one party in a, in a, in a government. You know, so if not ACT, then whom? I mean, and, what? And it, Colin Craig? Yeah, you well, know, this, that's this the, is the thing. If it's not ACT, then there's always room for a more extreme party, and it's you know, Matt King Democracy Now or. Um, Colin United Craig Future, or the Christian Future. Bring back Peter Dunn. Bring back Gordon. Well, I think people just didn't realise what a what a forced to be reckoned with that, you know, yeah. Seymour was going to turn out to be. Oh, I mean, he's an incredibly impressive politician now in terms of knowing how to hit his marks and all that sort of stuff. You know? Oh, and when did, did we, your, when did your act piece come out? Was that since the last podcast? Oh, probably about three or four weeks ago. Because that's, that's, yeah. that's a big recommend to read. That's a fantastic deep dive. My favourite bit in it was where David... David, someone described David Seymour sitting down to write the policy about what his personality is. That's right. <laughs> That's right. It is, like, it, is, it is kind of like the transhumanist singularity moment, isn't it? <laughs> it's, like, it's, a, it's, it's a fantastic read um, that explains a lot about why Dak are doing so well. Um, in the polls, meanwhile, Roy Morgan is often uh, not taken as seriously as his other polls. It's, um, Probably because it has the Maori Party at 7%. Well, it does still have the Maori Party at 7%. I mean, so one of the other amazing facts, if you look down at the numbers, one of the things they provide, and this might be getting to a low base, but uh, it's, it's useful. They break down the demographics when mm. they provide the polls. And it suggests that uh, almost twice as many women voters under the age of 50, according to their latest poll, support... To party Māori over the Green Party. No, it, oh, okay. no, 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 no. Fifteen percent of what young women. I, I don't know what the number was. I think it was. I think it might have been more. Than, but 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 there were there were mm. there were almost twice as many according to the poll. You're shaking your head, Ben. But it's still. Where, where do you see Te Party Māori now, Annabelle, in terms of you know whether or not Mika Whaiteri is is making waves? They, I mean, there's still. They must. They, they, even, whatever people think about Roy Morgan, seeing seven percent there is going to be a. Oh, it's huge. It's going to boost your confidence. It's, it's huge for them. And, you know, they have done an incredible job of rebuilding that party out of the ashes that, that was left behind by the by the Māori party of old. And it was interesting um, totally d- being I mean, in Te Matawa Māori yesterday yeah. because so many young people are talking about Te Pāti Māori, you know, they're loving what they do on TikTok and, and those sorts of spaces. Hmm. That The challenge will be, and, you know, and it, in that Roy Morgan poll, it does talk about them being, you know, very young women hmm. and both uh, young women supporters, is getting those people to the, the the polling booth on election day. It might not be um, 7%, but, I mean, the fact that it's 
twice what, you know, twice as high as its highest. It's is a- absolutely you. incredible. That would bring in nine Māori Party MPs. That would mean that Hana Rafati Maipi Clark, the, the new candidate um, for the amazing Hauraki young Waikato? wahine who's who's been named for Hauraki Waikato. We talk about that beret. Would make it. Oh no, she's amazing. It's eh? a quality beret. I haven't seen a beret like that since Tovar O'Brien. Yeah, yeah. New Zealand politics. Can I tell you guys about her? Yes. She actually went to Teudu Karaka with my kids up at Newton Central School, and then she went back to Rako Manga Manga and um, conflict Huntley. of interest for you then. She's the niece of um, Hana Tehemara, the the very famous wahine Maori. Um, a real advocate, mm-hmm. you know, who was a part of the Māori language petition, was um, married to Sid Jackson. That's who she's actually named after. Her mother's a very respected um, curator, museum curator, who is now working at the um, Waitangi Treaty Grounds. Her father is a, is a journalist, Pōtaka Maipi, and his family are very well known for their advocacy and in the Waikato region, getting rid of the old colonial names and all of that stuff. But she's exactly the sort of young candidate mm. from listening to the people that we were talking to yesterday that the Māori – I think if you're talking about the long-term game and the long-term strategy for the party, having young people like that running mm. who are getting blooded up, running against someone like Nanaia, Nanaia's going to take beautiful care of her during the campaign because she's that sort of yeah. person. Nanaia who's take, also gone – who's not on the list. She's going to be electorate only, so she – obviously is conscious that she needs to be all in. Yeah, and and, and also she'll mentor her. And uh-huh. Nanaia won't be there forever. So, you know, if you keep running someone like a, a Hanara Fiti every election, like the like we've seen them do now with um, Takutai Ferris and um, Maria Meno Kappa Kingi up north, you know, eventually her time will come. But you know what? If they're polling at 7%, her time might come in 100-ish days' time. Is John Tommy going to win? We don't know when the list will be out, but he was he was number two on the list last time, if you recall. I think he said he wasn't going, he wasn't planning on yeah. standing. Was he? Okay. But that might that might just be the electorate. Yeah, so yeah. Maybe and you know what? Because it's nine, you'd get nine MPs, and if rumours are true and they manage to get Lewis a wall and Lewis a wall was in the top nine she'd be back in parliament wow. oh my god what a thought um, you know who won't be back in parliament New Zealand first oh well, on, that, d- depends, on that latest Roy Morgan poll. Yeah, it depends on whether you listen to Roy there, Morgan because Roy Morgan's the only Roy Morgan's the only poll that's had New Zealand first above five percent. But so you, there's something happens at the level of the low polling parties yeah, in Roy Morgan. It is, it is, it is, it is an interesting one. Goes but but New, Zealand, New Zealand first are still on sort of around New Zealand first are on in the high twos or about three percent, right? Shane Jones and is doing TikToks now. Not, well, and, and they're, they're, he's standing amazing. standing by the sides of streets with signs. It's quite good. He just like he's quite good. If he's their best hope in terms of an electric. Seat. It's hard yeah, eh? because he's got all of those. Pe- he's up against but, but, but like Matt they have, King and Willow and a whole lot and, of and, others and, that are splitting the vote. Have taken that vote, and, and Winston Peters is, to, is literally talking about the world economy forum and the world health. He's like the he's miscreant juvenilian. He's just, he's just chucking a few. Lollies out. I mean, it's not him anyway. No, he's probably gone. Look, let's finish up with some. Uh, the, thank you, Annabelle. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Sam. Uh, thank you, listeners. Thank you, members. It is either 99 or 100 or 101 days until the election. Talk soon. Kia ora. Kia ora e te iwi. Te here. Podcast manager at The Spin-Off. 
If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a spin-off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.